Omni Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here and that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Blessed is anyone who rejects the advice of the wicked, or told in the Psalms, and does not take a stand in the path that sinners tread, nor a seat in the company with cynics, but who delights in the law of Yahweh and murmurs his law day and night. Such a one is like a tree planted near streams, it bears fruit in season, and its leaves never wither and every project succeeds. How different the wicked, how different, just like the chaff blown away by the wind. And so we're invited to be like a tree planted near streams, bearing fruit in season, leaves never wither. This meditation is about lukewarmness. And so the scriptures and also our Father will invite us to take an account occasionally so that we keep ourselves in good shape. We don't drift into well, a lukewarm status. Let us be demanding on ourselves, said Don Alvaro, in a letter in 1988 on the 50th anniversary of the founding of the work. With greater motive, he says, my children, when time passes, and we've been spending a lot of time serving our Lord in Opus Day. We shouldn't allow that with the passage of time, our, the fervor of our initial self-giving would get weakened. And so occasionally we have to go back and look again and begin again, to foster that generosity of the beginning, keep our fire burning. One time our father was in a get-together in, I think it was Venezuela, and he hadn't slept well the previous night and some people had prepared a song for him and so he sat down in the chair that was there while they sang the song it was unusual for him to sit down on those get-togethers he was always moving around but he listened to the song and towards the end of the song <clears throat> and he said in a low voice that was only heard by the person beside him salto de mi confortaleza i jump up out of my comfort as he moved out of the chair Occasionally we have to examine ourselves and see if perhaps there's a little bit of a bourgeois spirit that may have crept in from time to time. Our love of comfort, our love of self, it's always there. He says our love of God does not have to be as shining brightly in maturity as it did in the early stages of our youth. He says, but it does have to maintain itself alive and strong like embers that are consumed in silence, perhaps without any flames, but radiating around them a great warmth that lifts up the temperature of the atmosphere with, with optimism, always with the conviction that we have done the best business with our soul, and always with the thought that many others 
will look at our example in order to know and to deal more with God. And so Bernard wrote with these words is calling us to a new responsibility, a new maturity, <coughs> a new care about everything related to our vocation, to take care of the small things, to keep our soul shining brightly in all sorts of moments, particularly in and through our norms and customs. So that with the passage of time, well, things don't get cooled down a bit. In the history of the work, he says, long and short, how many times there are people, mature people sometimes, sometimes far away from the work, already advanced in years, who go back to feeling the joy of God and seeing the way that young people of the prelature function. And how many young people there are who are moved to have a new light and fire in their ideals. In contemplating the spirit which is always young and joyful of those who have spent many years at the service of God in the prelature. And so God wants to use our example, our fire, our apostolic vibration, our enthusiasm for the things of always, so that we have the noble ideals of our Lord and that our Father has placed in our soul very much before us all the time. With that new enthusiasm, that conviction, that faith that God is making use of everything, our daily mass, to bring things forward, to sow seeds, our prayer, to bring those vocations that we dream about. For this reason, he says, men and women, young and less young, healthy and sick, married and single, lay and priests, all the faithful of the preacher have to constantly aspire to that specific holiness to which God has called us, each one along our own pathway, and becoming more sure each time in that effort without weakening it in any way. Help each other to be Opus Dei, children of my soul, with your prayer, with your good example, and with your fraternal correction. All of us have to feel in our shoulders that sweet weight of the responsibility of the sanctity of the others. Well, these ideas can lead us to go back to our prayer, pray more for other people around us, to think of the apostolic goals of the region, of all the corporate apostolic works, how all of that depends on our personal struggle. And to see, well, maybe we could struggle a little more in certain areas, or we could focus on different virtues that we haven't focused on before. Or we could listen a bit more attentively to what may be said to us in the chat or in fraternal correction, because we know the Holy Spirit is there. And there are new horizons that are waiting for us, new fruits that God wants to bring. I read a book once about the Battle of Monte Cassino. It was an abbey just south of Rome, on the approach road to Rome from the south, the Nazis had occupied this abbey. They had carefully put away all the valuable art treasures that were there. <clears throat> and the Allies had landed in the south, Anzio, I think, and made their way up through the centre of Italy. It was the winter of 44, very cold, very miserable. And the journalist who wrote this book was describing the conditions in the front lines. People were hungry, they were cold, anyone in their right mind would have wanted to be somewhere else. The temptation to desert was very great. 
the mules that brought the provisions sometimes were shot and so the food didn't get through. And every evening, the mules, mules that were there would carry the wounded back to the home lines. But there was a sergeant there who was checking on all the wounded to make sure they were really wounded because the temptation to desert was very great. And he said one time he found two soldiers who decided to pretend that they were injured and to try to escape from that place. But he produced his gun and he ordered them back to the front lines. And he said these tired battle-weary soldiers went back to their position in the front lines and they fought on. And eventually the Germans were pushed back off that promontory and they withdrew to the north of Italy. Rome was spared. It was one of the most decisive battles of the Second World War. One with tired soldiers. So sometimes God wants to use our tiredness. There are a couple of books about the reality of tiredness. John Paul II in his apostolic letter on the day of the Lord, he says there's something sacred about our tiredness that God wants to use. Jesus allowed himself to be tired out from his journey. And so he allowed himself to sit down beside the well. But even in that state of tiredness, he was always open to souls, ready to do a little bit more, ready to be demanded from or to use that situation or that experience that came about to, <clears throat> to reach out to that soul that was there. I want to direct myself, he says, in a special way to those daughters and sons of mine who have jobs of government or formation entrusted to them. And to my priest sons who cooperate in the spiritual direction of the other faithful of the prelature, very united to the directors. But at the same time, I direct myself to everybody because all of us, each and every one of us, have to be both sheep and shepherd. My children, don't allow any one of your brothers or sisters to become cold. Help them with the refinement of a mother and with the fortitude of a father in their pathway of holiness. Don't allow that anyone might lower their guard and give in some concessions to lukewarmness and allow themselves to get enveloped in a situation of spiritual mediocrity with ways of living that are not compatible with the joyful duties that are inherent in our vocation. And in the pathway of a, a Christian who must always act at all times in nomine Jesu, with our Lord, through our Lord, for our Lord, and with the others in him and with him and through him. And so we have to examine our conscience and see, well, am I praying enough for the others? Do I notice things that are important? Can I be led to have that great act of supernatural affection, the greatest act I can have with the people I live with, a fraternal correction, to show them that I care for them, I really love them, they're not alone, they're part of a family, I want the best for them, I want heaven for them. And so I make those joyful demands on them, all those reminders. Be attentive, he says, to detect when a person Confide it to your care through tiredness or through situations related to his professional work or for any other reason might begin to weaken in their spiritual journey.
Encourage them so that they react. Giving them the spirit of Opus Dei without diminishing in any way those demands. Sustain them in their difficulties. Facilitate the necessary rest. Apply the appropriate remedies that our Lord has given to us in Opus Dei. But don't give in or allow a situation that is not proper to our spirit to, to, to carry on or to take place. That spirit that we've received from our Father. See how wonderful and attractive is this battle of ours so that Christ may reign. As we come to the Feasts of the Angels, we think of the work of St. Raphael, St. Gabriel, also St. Michael, the tremendous reach of those works that God has placed in our hands. Tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. And so the work of St. Gabriel and St. Raphael for us are enormously attractive. We have to try and keep that attraction before our, our eyes all the time. That's what I'm here for. That's why God has given me this vocation. That's what it's all about. So I don't get distracted or focused with other things that may come along. No matter how good or noble or attractive or interesting they may be. We're here to cast our nets. That's what it's all about. That shout of our Father that he always heard and he wanted us to repeat frequently has to sound in our ears. Regnare Christum Volumus. We want Christ to reign. We truly want Christ to reign in humanity all over this planet in which so many people still don't know him or others who separate themselves from him. And so we have to try and free from that state of lukewarmness that can come about in all sorts of ways. Whether you are hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Our Lord has said some very strong, strong things. And in that battle against lukewarmness, well, it means that we try to, to keep the important things in their place. There was a story of a, a man in Mexico many years ago who got married and for 25 years of their life he loved to go to the bullfights every Saturday afternoon and his wife would accompany him. She wasn't particularly interested in the bullfights but she would go along anyway. But then one day after 25 years she finally said let's not go to the bullfights. I'm fed up going to the bullfights. And he said okay let's not go to the bullfights. Let's go somewhere else. I never really wanted to go to the bullfights anyway. And so there was a man who knew how to keep his first love in first place. Because we know how with the passage of time it's so easy for our first love to slip into other places. Fifth place perhaps or sixth and other things to take its place. We have to try and come back frequently and fall more in love with our Lord, with our vocation, with the apostolate, with the means that God has given to us. Love is a mystery. God is love. Our vocation is all about love. Sometimes you have to come back and learn how to love again and learn what love is all about. There was a lawyer in Sydney once who told a story of how he was approached by a couple. He was 86 and she was 83. And the lawyer asked them, well, what can I do for you? And they said, we want to get a divorce. And why do you want to get a divorce? Because we don't love each other anymore. 
And how long have you been married? 40 years. So this lawyer tried to remember the meditation on charity or the talk on charity that he heard at his last retreat and tried to give them a, an impromptu talk about what love is all about. Love is kind, love is patient, love is loving other people with their defects, it's forgiving, it's letting the water flow onto the bridge, it's not making a mountain out of a molehill. All the little points that he could remember as much as possible. He asked them to go away and think about it for a while and come back another day and they talk a little more. So they said they'd give it a try but they weren't very convinced. So they went away and three years later the wife came back to say well my husband just passed away but I want to thank you because we've just had three of the most wonderful years of our whole life. And so the moral of the story is that we are always beginning again in love, rediscovering what this mystery is all about. And occasionally the Holy Spirit gives us new lights so that we can see things in a different way, perhaps that we never saw before, or discover some joy in our vocation that we hadn't experienced. I write to you, said our father in 1974, in one of the last of the three bell rings, that you may be warned, forewarned, against the assaults of the devil, who may attack at the eleventh hour, almost at the end of this pathway of ours here below, he says, when he tries to stir up the prudence of the flesh, a prudentia carnal. You and I have it always present, he says, have come to give our, our lives completely, honour, money, professional progress, talents, possibilities of influence in the environment, bonds of blood. In a word, everything that, an, that can accompany the career of a man in his maturity, all of that has to be submitted to a, a greater interest, that of the glory of God and the salvation of souls. And so our Father warns us against these realities, how the devil can try to catch us out occasionally, with things that may be incompatible with our holiness and with our, our pathway. And so lukewarmness is an attitude towards God. It takes root when our response is characterised by mediocrity or delays. And we have to sort of look at the little delays do I do my norms on time? Do I take care of my expense account on time? Do I do these other little things on time? The cause of that lukewarmness, not so much tiredness, but, but lack of fight, omissions, lack of courage, lack of fortitude, lack of self-giving, lack of a sense of responsibility, possibly of not fleeing from the bad influences of the environment putting off our duties. Sometimes we may have to make radical decisions about our lifestyle or things that have happened in our life. We make real changes. One time I was giving a class in Singapore and I happened to mention how, well, if you're in some bar someplace and you find that suddenly the curtain goes up and the dancing girls come on and you wouldn't like your wife or your children to see you in this place. Well, probably God doesn't want to see you here either. And the following week, a man came to me and said, you know, I, I work in a bank and I am in auditing and I have a regional job, so I move around quite a lot. I'm in different cities and we finish work at five or six and very often we go out for a few beers and 
when I precisely find myself in some of those sort of places. No? But he said, no, I realize, and he said, I, I, he married late in life and he had one daughter and his wife, he loved them very much. And he said, I realized, well, they wouldn't like to see me in that place, in those places. And so I've made a new resolution, he said, before I even go into these places, I look at them and I ask myself, well, would my wife and my daughter even like to see me going into this place? And he said, most of the time the answer is no. So I tell the guys, okay, guys, I'll see you some other time. I'm going to go and have dinner somewhere else. And so there was a guy who knew how to identify things that weren't right. And there could be little negligences in our life also. Little attachments here and there, compensations, little pleasures that are not completely compatible with our spirit, our situations that are perhaps not as apostolic as they might be. Or we might not be thinking apostolically in certain situations. Or maybe our Lord wants us to think out of the box. How can I convert this situation or this opportunity into a real apostolic opportunity? How can this uh, produce fruit for souls? Because if it doesn't, well then, what am I doing here? What's it all about? You know? A lukewarm soul can be a soul without love. It's a rather ugly situation. And for a person of Oprah's day to be in a lukewarm situation, well, it's not a healthy thing. Because a soul who loves knows how to give themselves completely, ready to change the direction of my life or change my plans or change my lifestyle or whatever may be, may be necessary. And that means that we have to be ready to make sacrifices so that we don't end up wanting to make compatible with our vocation things that in reality are not compatible. There may come a series of little giving ins here and there, of abandoning the struggle to improve, of not giving importance to venial sins, of not having that desire to be better. I remember in a very remote part of Asia one time, coming to March 19, and there was a person of the work there who was very isolated, could only be reached a few times a year. And they would get a circle and they would try to get to retreat once a year. They might have been the most remote person of the work in the whole of, of the world. And I asked them, were they ready to renew on March 19? And very quickly this person said, yes, I want to improve. I want to be better. I was rather impressed with that answer. I want to be better. That's the whole reason I'm in Opus Day. In spite of the difficulties of my situation and a whole pile of other things, I want to be better. Well, a very beautiful and healthy thing to have that deep desire in our soul, in our heart, and therefore to love the great treasures that God has, has placed beside us and the means that he's given to us. How can I improve today? What is the virtue that my director is speaking to me about? during this period of time that I need to grow in to be a little better. There are three specific people in the gospel that are that are lukewarm. There's the older brother, there's Judas, and there's the rich young man. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad because he had great possessions. There's a bit of the rich young man in each one of us. We all have great possessions. 
And we have to be careful that those things don't take a hold of us. Or that we're like the older brother, we're working in our father's field all the time, but with sort of a bitter seal. Our heart is not really in the things of God. He's full of self-righteousness. He's all tied up in his own things. What about me? Nobody told me. Nobody gives me a ghost to make merry with my friends. He's no mercy in his heart. No love for his brother or for his father. We're not told that he actually comes into dinner with his father and with his brother. He's cold-hearted. It's a very ugly picture. He's fulfilling his duty. <clears throat> he's a good worker. But he's not doing it out of love. That bitter zeal. He's counting the cost. He's full of pride. It's everything that we shouldn't be. And so even though initially he looked like the person to imitate because he doesn't go away from his father's house and he doesn't waste all his money, <clears throat> in the end it's the younger brother who's the one to imitate. He makes this deep examination of conscience. He realizes his situation. He realizes things have to change and improve. <clears throat> and so he comes back to his father's house. He begins again. There might be little dialogues with temptations that God has permitted in our life. I read in the book recently how God permits temptation for us to realize our nothingness, that we are vessels of clay, all the most terrible things that can pass through our mind. But yet those are opportunities. Opportunities for us to show our Lord that I want to be better, I want to improve. I really want holiness. I heard someone say once that following a vocation is like jumping off a cliff. Humanly speaking, it doesn't make any sense. You jump off a cliff and you see the waves uh, there below you, like in Caliphi, someplace, the waves crashing against the rocks. You see all the human things. But when you jump off that cliff, Our Lady is there six meters out from the edge of the cliff, and we jumped into her arms. But sometimes God places us back on the edge of the cliff again and says, jump again. Show me again that you love me, that you really want to follow me, that you want to leave everything. If we allow those little temptations to take over a little bit, we give in with them a little bit, we don't reject them as fast as we should, well, they can easily take a hold. You are lukewarm, said our Father in the way, if you carry out lazily and reluctantly those things that have to do with our Lord, if deliberately or shrewdly you look for some way of cutting down your duties, if you think only of yourself and of your comfort, if your conversations are idle and vain, if you do not abhor venial sin, if you act for human motives, if we find ourselves thinking apostolically all the time, that's a very good sign. How can I get in contact with more people? How can I make the means of formation more, the corporate apostolic works more effective? How can I reach more people? Think out of the box in this funny situation that maybe God has, has placed us in. A rio roalto ganantio pescadores. When the rivers are in flood, well, the fishermen have a boom time because the fish come to the surface. And so for all the time thinking of others, thinking of the apostolos, how to bring things forward, well, that's very healthy. 
1975, in Donald Rose speaking about the interior struggle, he said, Our Lord wants us to be saints. In reminding ourselves of this divine commandment, we're not talking about people that are above good and evil, far away from any bad temptations, but we're here talking about ourselves. And with so many others who move by grace, unite themselves to our work, the work of God. Each one of us knows the little of which we're made. But that isn't enough to be humble, because there's so much more, a long pathway to, to walk along before we reach that goal that our Lord has placed for us and which we want to reach. Santos de verdad los oremos en el cielo. Truly holy, we'll be in heaven. If we remain faithful in the struggle here on earth, even though we might seem to be ourselves always sinful, sinners who struggle to make the reality of what our Father talked about, mentioned about himself, we are sinners who love Jesus Christ. And so always willing to go back with a new humility to start again, or refinement in the sacrament of confession, a love for divine grace, a new sensitivity, a new warmth, because we want to have a tender love for Jesus. We are people, he says, who are very conscious of the fact that we have passions and weaknesses. Poor men and women who live disposed to two fundamental things because we love or we want to love very much our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to recognize ourselves humbly, in a humble way, our own miseries, and to struggle for love to overcome them with the grace of God. Let us go to this struggle, very convinced, or very focused to carry out ourselves or behave ourselves each day a little bit better, a little bit less less worse or less, less evil in order to go forward along the pathway of holiness. God allowed our Father to contemplate with the universal expansion of the work this immense quantity of children of his in the whole world who transformed their life with this shout of love of God. Truly that prayer that our Father made in those years when he felt those feelings, deep feelings of his vocation, and since that 2nd of October, have been converted into a sort of a violent shout in the souls of so many people. Ignam veni mitre in teram, et quid volo inicio chachandater. I've come to spread fire in this earth, and what would I but that it be enkindled? And that prayer of his has been heard by our Lord, and he was given the consolation of seeing here on earth that fire of love that had been provoked in so many souls, spreading from his own soul. In the book of the Apocalypse, we're told, Nevertheless, I have this complaint to make. You have less love now than you had formerly. Our Lord sort of challenges our conscience a little bit. In the book of the Apocalypse, it also says, So far I fail to notice anything in your behavior that my God could possibly call perfect. And so we can ask Our Lady for that grace to keep our struggle very much alive, uh, stir up that fire of love as much as possible, and to ask as we come close to these great anniversaries and these feast days of the angels that are in front of us, 
that we might know how to begin again, as our father did, and as she always did, along the pilgrimage of her life. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.